Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House in Virginia Beach. church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Tonight we want to look into the Word of God and we want to open up our Bibles. Luke chapter 9, if you'll join me there tonight. Luke chapter 9. The coffee is good tonight. Now, there is a scripture we're about to read that is very, very powerful. Jesus is confronting some attitudes that are very common to humanity. Um, one, of my, one of my great uh, fascinations is with the, uh, with the realm of magicians, I love to watch those kinds of performances, and especially those uh, escape magicians. And I can remember, even as a young boy back in the 80s, uh, remembering watching on the television those David Copperfield specials where he would, you know, cause the Statue of Liberty to disappear. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, uh, that means I'm older than you. But um, it's, it's an amazing thing to see what kind of illusions can be created, and maybe you've seen it before, the the magicians have changed over time, but the tricks many times don't don't change all that much. And you've seen it before where a a magician like uh, Harry Houdini was was famous for this, and and many others since then, they will lock themselves in some kind of dangerous, precarious position, wrapped up in chains and locked up with... uh, handcuffs, and then they will be covered up by some magic box or a curtain or something, and the lights will go off, and, and then uh, as some time passes by and the, the lights grow dim and the sense of urgency grows, and, and all of a sudden he comes from the back of the room, and nobody expected to appear back on the stage, and everyone cheers, yay! Well, you know, I hate to ruin it for you and burst your bubble, but uh, he had a way out. The magician, he has prepared beforehand and has, uh, has made it to look as if he's going to be fully trapped, but he's not. And that's how he can very easily get out of those situations. There's always a back door or some kind of trap door. There's always some kind of trick that you can't see as an audience member. And the magician will use his way out, his way of escape that you don't know about. It's a place of refuge or a way out of certain danger. As I was thinking about the scripture we're about to read, I realized that the attitudes that Jesus is confronting is at heart, is the attitude of the escape artist. That there are those that God has allowed into his kingdom. There are believers who have repented of sin and even 
seen God do miracles in their lives, and yet there are many in the church who have a way of escape, who have a back door just in case this Christianity thing doesn't work out for some reason. We sang a song tonight that said, I surrender all, right? The problem is that many Christians don't really mean that. They say, I surrender uh, a tithe. Or they'll sing, I surrender some. I surrender some. Doesn't quite have the same power, does it? I surrender my Sunday mornings. Or I'll surrender this attitude or that part of my heart. But truly, what does it mean to surrender all to the Lord Jesus Christ? It means, if we take that seriously, it means that you and I, we're no longer in control of this thing, are we? That you and I, we are not the captain of our ship any longer. That we surrender our lives, it means Jesus is in the driver's seat. He makes the decisions. And for some people, that's unacceptable. And so many people begin to look for the way of escape, like the magician on the stage. Where's the trap door, pastor? How can I get out of this? And when we enter the kingdom of God with that kind of attitude, it's the attitude of Ananias and Sapphira, who in Acts chapter 5 made a commitment to the Lord, right? Nobody made them, nobody forced them or twisted their arm. There was just a spirit of generosity loosed in the early church. People were selling what they had, laying it at the apostles' feet for the work of the kingdom. And so there they were, caught up in that spirit. Yes, Lord, yes, what can we do for the kingdom? Can we do something? Yes, we'll sell our land and give all the proceeds. And then they went home and had a little chat with one another, right? And after their commitment that they made to the Lord, what the Bible said that they held back. It's not even that they held back all of it. They gave something. But they held back a portion. See, what is that tonight? That is the way of escape. That is the illusionist on the stage unlocking his handcuffs. It is the survival of self-will. In this kingdom. And I want to target that attitude here tonight because all of us have a certain place, perhaps, that you are holding back from God. You're keeping back doors and trap doors open so that you wouldn't have to fully do what God wants you to do. This is the attitude Jesus confronts here in our scripture. Luke chapter 9, as he confronts three trap doors that I want to preach about tonight. Starting with verse 57, it says these words, Now it happened as they journeyed on the road. As someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. Sounds pretty good, right? Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests. The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. In other words, there's going to be a price to pay to follow me. Verse 59, then he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. 
And the third, another said, Lord, I will follow you, but... Mm. There's a lot of those kinds of Christians these days. Lord, I will follow you, but... Fill in the blank. This man, his but was, but let me go first and bid them farewell who are at my house. And Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit. Say the word fit for the kingdom of God. Let's pray for just a moment. Lord, we come by the blood of Jesus. Thank you tonight for your word that God, the conviction that is, that is imprinted upon these words of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm praying, God, that we would even receive a portion, God, even a fraction of that conviction into our own hearts tonight. And Lord, I pray that you would speak to every believer here, every believer that is watching right now. Lord, that the Holy Spirit would use your word to bring conviction into our hearts, into our minds, and into our souls tonight. God, that you would help us to leave aside our excuses, leave aside our trap doors, leave aside all of the exits, and God, to fully surrender to your will. This is the mark of revival. Nothing held back, but God fully surrendered to your will tonight. We give you glory in Jesus' mighty name. This is a message I've titled, Trap Doors of Destiny. Because what we see in our scripture tonight are three very common trap doors that people are using. Now, remember here that Jesus is not speaking to sinners. <clears throat> He's not speaking to the world. He is speaking to those either who have made the claim that they want to follow him, or in the case of the second man here, that he has personally called him to follow. So in both cases, these are people who are very serious about following the Lord Jesus. These are people who have made up their mind that it's more important to follow Jesus than it is to follow other things. And so these, this is common in the house of God tonight. He's speaking to us. How many understand that one of the easiest things for us to do in church, y- y'all just shout me down if I start lying, one of the easiest things to do is to pass. I'll take a pass, Pastor. This sermon, not for me, for the guy at the end of the road, though. The guy at the end of the, at the, end of the, the row. Yeah, that's for him. And we, we throw elbows sometimes when we know it's for the neighbor next door to us. Or we are constantly re- being reminded of situations in other people's lives that this would apply to. I don't want you to do that tonight. I want you to take aim at your own heart and your own decisions. I want you to hear, not from me, but from the Lord Jesus and from His Spirit toward your heart tonight. Let's look first at the back door or the trap door of disappointment. Everybody say the word disappointment. Have you ever been disappointed? Of course you have. We've all experienced disappointment. Look at verse 57 again, and we'll see why this is a call to the disappointed. Where this man, he makes a commitment to the Lord, as we said already. He said, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And listen, to be honest with you, this is really the entire Christian life wrapped up in a little nugget. Lord, he's saying, Lord, you are my Lord, which means I am your servant, right? He's establishing relationship. You are Lord. When you say that he is Lord, what does that mean? He's in charge. 
Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. He said, my will is not important anymore. I'm going to follow you. And this is truly the attitude of I surrender all. This is what we sang in that song tonight. It is the call to follow Jesus. And this is what the New Testament points us to. What is the life of faith? It is the life following Jesus. Over and over, John 8, 12, Jesus spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. How do you exit the dark places of life? Well, you follow Jesus into the light. This is how you got saved, isn't it? Because somewhere in your life you realized that you were going a direction that was leading you to God's judgment. And you said, I don't want to go that way. I want to follow Jesus instead, right? And out of the darkness you came into his marvelous light. John 10, verse 27, Jesus speaking in, uh, in parables. He said, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. Using this agricultural picture, he says the relationship between sheep and shepherd, when the shepherd calls out, there might be other shepherds, there might be other noises, there might be other distractions happening, but when the shepherd calls, come my little sheep, the sheep leave what they're doing. He says, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. This is the Christian life. John 12, 26, if anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him and my father will honor. How do you know if you're living for Jesus? He is where you are. And you are where he is. I love that that Jesus describes this life as a following. In other words, that Jesus is moving somewhere. He is not static. He doesn't stay in one place. How many understand the living for God? Jesus is on the move. He is moving somewhere. And if you're going to keep up with him, you can't just stay in one place. Because he's moving on. He's going on to the next city, to the next sinner, to the next broken person. He's moving on to the next woman at the well. He's moving on and he's going to go whether you follow or not. And so it's up to you and it's up to me to follow after him. So the words of this follower were right. The problem is Jesus wasn't convinced. How many understand when Jesus isn't convinced, there's probably not a whole lot of truth to that statement. He says, Lord, I will follow you wherever you will go. And Jesus is looking at him. Come on, buddy. Are you sure about that? You you know, I'm Jesus. You shouldn't be lying straight to my face. And the problem is when our words don't match up with our actions, right? Jesus is wary. He's got good motivation, perhaps even good intentions. But just like Peter who looked at the Lord and he said, Oh, Lord, all the rest of these lame idiots, no, they're all going to fall away. But not me. I'll follow you all the way, Lord, even to the death. And only hours later, what is he doing? I don't know. I don't know him. Who's that guy? Jesus who? No, never heard of him. Hours. He's going from proclaiming 
the highest commitment to the Lord Jesus, and hours later, he is denying that he even knows him. What a perfect picture of many Christians today who show up in church and sing the songs. And listen, man, I love worship music. I love listening to those lyrics. I love, man, the commitment level, the, uh, the incredible Spirit of God that will fall when you're worshiping God. But you know the problem is, we sing one thing, like, I surrender all. And then we walk out the door. And hours later, not everything is surrendered. The words were correct, but Jesus was not convinced. Jesus responded to this man. The way that we know this, that this was an insincere proclamation, is because of how Jesus responded to him. Look at what he said in response. Verse 58. Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes. Birds of the air have nests. In other words, looking at the animal kingdom, he's saying, you know, these animals, they have places where they go to rest. Foxes is is one one example that, you know, a fox is, a, I believe, is a hibernating animal. So they need a place to go during the winter. They need a place to find comfort and shelter. They need a place where they're not going to get eaten in the middle of the winter, right? He's saying foxes, they have a place of safety, comfort, and protection. He's looking at birds. And the reason why birds build nests is to protect the next generation, to protect their eggs, which are going to be hatched right now. We are in, uh, approaching the spring season where, yeah, I've noticed in my neighborhood all the ducks are pairing up and all the, all the male geese are fighting over the female ones. You, it's quite entertaining. And what's going to happen in a few more weeks is all of those ducks and geese and the birds, they're going to build their nests, their little, their little shell of protection. And can I tell you that those birds protect their nest with fierceness they are fierce little warriors they will protect their nest i read this in a book that uh one one of the uh one great experiment you can play if you if you find uh, a bird that is creating a nest in your house or you know near your neighborhood or in your yard what you can do is uh, take a recorder you can record some sound on your phone of that little song that the bird is singing and if you'll record that and simply play it back to him, you know what he'll think? That bird will think that you are an intruder on his territory, and many times the bird will attack you. Because that nice, that nice little tune that he's tweeting is a siren call warning against every other bird. You better stay away, or you're going to get it. It's an aggressive call to protect what? Their nest their place of protection, comfort, their place where they're going to protect their eggs no matter what they can do, even with their tiny little bodies, they're going to do everything that they can to make sure that their nest is protected. Oh, beloved, if you are going to be successful in God's kingdom, you're going to have to put put that idea away. You're going to have to put away the attitude of, I need my little hole of comfort and protection. If you're going to serve the Lord, Jesus said, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man, he's saying about himself, 
I don't know where I'm going to sleep tonight. He was a traveling preacher on the road, dependent on the generosity of others. He was not a a rich man. He didn't carry a big money bag. He said, all I'm here to do is to fulfill the commandment that God has set before me. Pastor, I don't like this part of the sermon. Can we move on to the next part, please? Because I want to make sure that I'm going to be comfortable. I want to make sure, so many of us, we spend our time nesting. Making sure we've got a comfy spot of protection. Do you know what your comfy spot should be tonight? Jesus said, abide in me and I in you. Your comfy place should be him. Not a house. Not a bed. Not a 401k. Not a nest egg. Your comfy... I'm not saying any of those things are evil. I'm saying tonight that your comfy place should be in Jesus. Because Jesus, his comfy place was in the will of his Father. He says, look at me. Look at what I have to offer you. I don't know where I'm going to stay tonight. Are you okay with that? There's a lot of uncertainty if you follow me. I can't give you the roadmap. I can't tell you in three weeks or in six weeks. I can't tell you. I can't, I can't for sure explain to you every step of the road as your life is played out. I, I can't do that for you either. I can't tell you that every step of your Christian walk that you're going to have smooth sailing. In fact, I can probably tell you exactly the opposite. I can probably guarantee you that you're going to have some hard times following Jesus. He's looking at the animals and saying, even these animals have better living conditions than I do. Jesus, as far as we know, he never owned any property. He never had any benefits. He didn't get a pension. He didn't have... uh, Uh, stimulus checks he said you know what i'm here to do my father's will the question really behind his statement here is this have you counted the cost of your lofty promises you really understand what it means to follow jesus it's more than joining a church it's more than singing a song it's more than just presenting yourself in a nice way it's more than claiming your seat on sunday morning it's more than putting the kids in a nice sunday program it's more than changing the preset dial on your radio to k love some people think that once once it's done huh i got it made that's all it took thank you jesus it's more than putting a tie on it's more than just acting different listen Living for Jesus means I surrender all. It's what Job said, even though, even though he slays me, yet will I serve him. Even though I'm having a bad day, you know what? I'm still going to do what's right. It's what Paul described in Romans 12.1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice does a sacrifice have any decision about what's going to happen next does a sacrifice have any say have any vote see a living sacrifice does not exist in a democracy 
I'd like to vote uh, that we, uh, that we uh, take myself off of the altar. You can't do that. If you're truly committed to the Lord Jesus, you are a living sacrifice. And this shouldn't be a hard thing. Paul says this is reasonable. It makes sense. It is your reasonable sacrifice. Reasonable service. In other words, it makes sense. Of course. Of course you should do that. You know why? Because of what Christ did for you. Because he laid his life on the line. He surrendered his heart. He gave every possible thing that he could give. Did Jesus hold anything back? What did he hold back from you? To provide for you a salvation. What price was he willing to pay so that you, your sins, could be washed away? Was there anything that Jesus had that he did not give? Or is it tonight that he gave himself 100% to the will of God? Now follow him. (laughs) That's what he means when he says foxes of the air. Foxes of the air. (laughs) Foxes have holes. Birds of the air have nests. But me? Are you still willing to follow? Hey, what's up, podcast listeners? Pastor Adam back with you again. Just wanted to give you this report that uh, you have been doing a great job of sharing the news of this podcast and continuing to download uh, episodes on a daily basis. The show has been growing by leaps and bounds. There's more of you listening now than at any other time in the podcast history. So we just want to say thank you once again for tuning in and listening to these anointed sermons. We just want to ask you one thing real quick. If you could do us a favor and leave us a review, especially those of you on Apple devices, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, wherever you're listening, uh, we need some five-star reviews. And also, uh, if you could leave a few notes in there about what you like best about this podcast, it would really, really help us. I'm sure that you know somebody who could use a daily podcast to get them through the day. Please make sure you share it with them. And uh, also, uh, we are trying to get our hands on sermons from all across our fellowship. If you've got some good ones to share with us, we'd encourage you to please contact us using the links in the show notes. We'd love to feature your sermons from your church as well. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy the rest of the sermon. There's another man here in verse 59. Jesus changes his attention and speaks to this man And he says to him, follow me. Now, this is interesting because this man here in this story, he is the one out of the three who has the distinction of being one of the very few in Scripture that Jesus personally called him to follow. In other words, that this was not just a proclamation, that he didn't just come to him and say, Lord, believe me, I will follow you. No. Jesus actually commanded him, I want you, brother, I want you to follow me. There's only a few in Scripture that Jesus gave this call to. Peter and Andrew at the very beginning, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. We know that there was the rich young ruler that Jesus gave a personal commandment to him to sell all that he had, give to the poor, and then what? Come and follow me. A personal call. Here is one of the very few in Scripture that Jesus speaks to him and says, follow me. How many in history over the years, how many millions of Christians would have loved 
to have that personal call from Jesus. I want you to follow me. And then he gives us his reasoning, his thought process, his trap door. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Bury my father. That seems reasonable. Like, Jesus, if his father just died, I mean, shouldn't you just let the guy have a funeral so he can grieve? But there's more than what meets the eye. The idea behind this man's response to Jesus' personal call to follow him, it's not that his father is dead. It is that his father is growing old, that he has responsibilities at home. And so he's saying, let me go and attend my father's needs until he is dead, until I have fulfilled my last uh, requirements to him. And then, Lord, and then after I take care of that, then, then you can have all of me. Now, let me just say, first of all, that it is not an evil thing to take care of aging parents, grandparents, family members. It's a wonderful thing. Christians do need to do that. But the problem with this man's excuse here is that he is making the false assumption that it's either one or the other. Lord, I will follow you after I take care of all of these needs. But I've got prior engagements. I'm sorry, Lord, I really would love to, and and truly, I will. There will come a day, Lord, that I am going to do what you've called me to do, just not today. Oh, it's too bad there's no Christians in here that say things like that. I would follow you, Lord, I would. I promise I would, but, you know, I've got this situation here that I have to take care of first. I've got a financial problem. I've got a marital problem. I've got a family problem. And, Lord, I, I, I want to do all for you, Lord. I want to surrender all. I want to follow you every day, but I can't until my schedule clears up. So here's what I'll do. I'll give you an I-O-U. I owe you, Lord. So you hold on to that. And when, when my father's needs are taken care of, then later, later I'll come and I'll do what I'm supposed to do. Do you know what the problem with that mentality is? The problem is that when the time comes, very few people actually hold up their end of the bargain. I've seen it. I've seen it a hundred times. That when the time comes, when the, when the vows have been fulfilled, I've seen very, very few who actually do what they said they were going to do. Not only that, but it is, like I said, a false assumption to make the statement that I can't do both. Now, let me just remind you tonight that Jesus will never call you to do something that is impossible for you to do. Do you believe that? Was Jesus unaware of this situation with his aging father? Of course he was aware. He knew exactly what kind of situation. And yet in that situation, Jesus still said to him, I want you to follow me. It's not that he's saying neglect your family, neglect your future, neglect your father. He's not saying any of those things. What Jesus is saying, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. In other words, it is possible to seek me, to follow me, and to take care of the needs of your house. 
But we want the trap door of being a distant disciple. I'll follow you, Lord, but from a distance. My heart will go with you. I hear people say that to me sometimes. Sorry, I couldn't be there, Pastor, but my heart was with you. Well, you know what? We really could have used your hands and your feet and your wallet. We really could have used, you know, the rest of you, not just your heart. Hmm. Isn't it strange how earthly relationships can take precedence over the will of God? Isn't it strange that Jesus also had to make this decision in his own life? Do you remember the story, Matthew 12, where Jesus is ministering? And uh, verse 47, they, they alert Jesus and they tell him, your mother and your brothers are outside. They want to have a little chat with you, Jesus. And what did Jesus say? He had to take a stand there. He answered and said to the one who told him, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? And he stretched out his hands toward the disciples, and he said, Here, here are my mother and my brothers. Can you imagine Mary standing outside? What did he say? I am his mother. Right? That, that's what, that's, and, and here's Jesus, but he's, he's making a statement about his priorities in life. He's not saying that Mary is not important. He is saying what is most important is right here. Priorities. Whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother, my sister, my mother. What did Jesus respond to this man who had prior engagements? Jesus said to him in verse 60, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. It's got some bite to it, doesn't it? Mm. Preach that, Jesus. Sometimes I want to say that. Let the dead bury their own dead. See, what you're focusing on here, future disciple, you're focusing on things that are spiritually worthless. He doesn't want us to be unnatural. He doesn't want, of course, he wants us to display kindness and goodness and take care of those around us. But none of those things should be your trapdoor. None of your prior engagements are an excuse to keep you from the will of God. Luke 14, 25, great multitudes went with him. He turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate, say the word hate. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, and his own life also, he cannot, say cannot, be my disciple. That's a high price, isn't it? The commitment that we should have toward the Lord ought to be so much greater than any other commitment that we have in life. If He truly is our Lord and Savior, let's close and look at the last man, the back door preparations. Verse 61, And another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. <laughs> I think about this man. Lord, I will follow you. I will follow you. But I got something going on at my house right now. So there's a party over there. I have to go shut down the party first so that I can come back and do my solemn duty to you, Jesus. It's almost as if 
He's going to die. It's so melancholy. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a downer to serve the Lord Jesus. I have to go shut down the party that's at my house so that I can come and serve you, Jesus. He seemed to have his worldly concerns more upon his heart than he should have. And so, Jesus answered to him, No one, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom. I think about these guys, you know, once upon a time when I was a, a teenager, I, I went to a, uh, an air show in Arizona. They didn't have them as often as they do around here. And uh, as a 13-year-old, I saw those jet engines flying. And my mind turned into one track. And I said, what do I have to do to get in one of those things? And I wanted to do that with all of my heart. And I think about these guys that we see flying through the air. You know, every day here in Virginia Beach, you can see these F-18s. And, you know, you think about a person like that. You can't just jump into an F-18 Super Hornet and be flippant about it. You know, you can jump in your car with a burrito in one hand and your phone in the other hand and drive with your knees, you know, and, and maybe you'll get to your house safely. I'm not encouraging distracted driving, but what I'm saying is that driving down the road is not exactly the same kind of focus and intensity that you must have as a fighter pilot. Am I right? If you jump behind the stick of an F-18 Super Hornet without 100% of your attention you're probably going to fly into the ground, right? Those, that's why these men prepare, that's why, uh, and women. That's why these pilots, they, they, they train. I mean, that's why we're seeing them flying. When, when nothing's going on, there they go. They, 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 they take off, they land, they practice, they maneuver, all of these things. All of that is preparation training so that they can be just sufficient. Just that they can keep the thing in the air and be, uh, be battle ready and all those things. And what if you are a Navy fighter pilot and you've got distractions? Could you imagine a guy up there with, with the, 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 the stick in his hand and uh, candy crush in the other? Is that going to happen? Is he going to be distracted by Facebook flying 600 miles an hour? He can't. He has to put all of his mental facilities in one place or else he's dead. And I tell you, your life in the kingdom requires all of you. Mm. If you're not living 100% for Jesus, if you're not following him with all that you got, you're doing it wrong. And it will end in disaster. Jesus told his disciples to remember, Luke 17, 32, remember Lot's wife. What a powerful story. You know the story of Lot's wife, right? God is raining down hellfire and brimstone on wicked Sodom where they practice the kinds of things that people say are politically correct these days. Sodom and Gomorrah, God is raining down fire and brimstone. There are angels that have grabbed on to Lot and his wife, pulling them out of the destruction and devastation. He only says to them, don't look back. Keep your eyes on where you're going, man. And what does she do? She turns around. 
And forever there she is frozen as a pillar of salt, as, an, as a parable of what happens when we are more in love with the destruction that we are leaving behind than with the destiny that God has in our future. Remember Lot's wife. He who seeks to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. This is what it means to put your hand on the plow. When you make a commitment to follow Jesus, you are making the commitment to give all that you can, all that you are. 1 Corinthians 9.24, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? So run in such a way that you may obtain it. You know what that means? Don't run with half of your heart. Don't run with 75%. Give it all, man. Paul said, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let me ask you, are you pressing? Are you pushing? Are you running? Are you laying it on the line? Or have you grown lukewarm? I close with this last thought. The opposite of love is not hate. It is indifference. One of the marks of a marriage that's falling apart is that a husband can look at his wife and say, eh, no big deal. Or a wife can look at her husband and just say, I feel nothing. If you come to that place in your marriage, you better get help quick. It's better to have a hot, raging fire of a fight than to be completely indifferent and not care. Just don't care anymore. This is exactly what Jesus meant when he said, Revelation 3.16, Because you are lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you. Makes Jesus sick. It makes him ill. Jesus can't stand the sight of lukewarm Christians. Yuck. I'd rather just have you as a cold sinner rather than lukewarm. I will vomit you out of my mouth. How about you tonight? I preach this because as we prepare for revival, we can't allow ourselves to have trap doors. We cannot be escape artists with God. If we're going to have revival, it's going to be because there's somebody here who says, you know what, Lord? I want to do it all for you. I want to truly follow you. I want to give everything I've got. Lord, my life is not much, but whatever I have, I put it in your hands. Would you do that tonight? Let's bow our heads, close our eyes as we bring this to a close tonight. We thank you again for listening. Do you want to receive updates from our church in your inbox? Make sure to sign up at our website, vbph.org. If this message has been a blessing to you, would you consider supporting our ministry with a generous donation? please visit our website at vbph.org and scroll down to find the Give button at the bottom of the page. We would be so grateful for your support. Until next time, love God and love people.